So there is a time of thanks that we give, which is not on God's calendar, but we can accept it as believers that any time is a wonderful time to give thanks to God. Uh, and there were at least some amongst those who first instituted this gathering that were deeply Christian and were deeply thankful for their survival. Um, but of course, life in this world is full of challenges. Half the pilgrims died in the first winter. Half. Um, and that with many of them knowing Christ. It was a challenge. In our own day-to-day -day lives, we face challenges. We can be deeply in love with the Lord and everything is wonderful. We know the joy and the delight. We still have problems. Christ made it clear that we wouldn't avoid problems or trials or tribulations in this world. The wonderful thing was that he promised to always be with us through them. We're not avoiding problems, but we have the Lord of the universe with us. And the more we need him, the more he's there. The role of the elders at Acts Church is to oversee the various aspects of church operations, to administer, to do what the Lord told Peter, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. If you love me, feed my people. And according to the gifts, talents, and abilities and the very calling of God, uh, the men who do this task before the Lord work very diligently, in my view, to assure that everything that happens here happens to your benefit so that the care and feeding of you in your lives and the problems and the difficulties you face uh, are handled in the best way possible. I will tell you that this is actually a, a significant burden. Paul himself talked about the fact that he felt the burden of all the churches, that it very nearly killed him to feel the burden of the churches. The elders here at Acts Church don't have that kind of burden, but we do have the burden of caring for you carrying out the Lord's requirements for you. The elders that we have who are in attendance here, if you would stand up for just a second so that the people can see you. Thanks, Roger. Dan. I know that Glenn is not feeling well. He's here, but he's, he's not quite in attendance with us. Thank you, gentlemen. We have a group of men who have done splendid work in overseeing. This year has been a time of transition and we're facing some challenges as we look at the end of the year. We had some costs that were higher than expected during the course of the year. That happens. The good news on that front is that 
we've been able to make some steps that actually lower our month-to-month costs very significantly by over $7,000 a month, which is a good thing. I also, uh, it is a good thing. Also, uh, our executive pastor, John Robinson, whom I think very highly of, uh, has done brilliant work in helping to assist David in the day-to-day operations. And he has single-handedly taken a number of assets that we had that were not performing, selling them off. We don't need them. Um, So he has completed the task of making a really good clean sweep. Normally during the course of the year, however, we'll see maybe two or three larger gifts come in. And this year we haven't seen them. Uh, for whatever reason, these things happen. Uh, we're, not, we're not concerned about it, but it's something that we need to make you aware of as we approach the last six weeks of the year here. I'll be very open with you and say that we need to raise over the next six weeks about $40,000. Sounds like a lot of money. It isn't. It isn't. If you got a mortgage, you know that it isn't. Um, But we do have to have that as a challenge before us because right now some things are happening to try to deal with this anticipated shortfall that we can't sustain. We can't, we can't continue using some of the means we have uh, to sustain it. We need to address it. And we're going to be talking about that today. Uh, we're actually going to have a great deal of fun talking about that today. Uh, you're going to find that a tough old guy like me, I don't have any qualms about talking about giving. It's part of the scriptures. And it's actually from one end to the other of the scriptures, it is what teaches us what is important in our response to God. That our worship to God involves not just our voices and not just our prayers and not just our regular attendance and so forth. It involves our giving. In some ways, preeminently involves our giving. It's It's tough to talk about it because frankly, the enemy has so thoroughly corrupted the presentation of giving. This makes me angry. He has so thoroughly sown the field with false teachers, false prophets, evil men who in the name of Christ steal that which is given to the Lord and pocket it themselves. Such things are damnable. They are, as Paul said, anathema, which in the Greek literally means, let it be damned. He knew it. Don't come to me if you're looking for comfortable words all the time. I smile great. I got an excellent sense of humor. 
but the things that are evil, you will hear that from me. And this is evil. It makes it much harder than for those of us who are being faithful and true to the word of God and our work here, because we love you so, because we, we love the Lord so. And the Lord said, if you love me, love them. Yes, Lord. And so we carry this on and we, we keep an eye on things and as much as possible, we try not to sound like we are coming to you and constantly dinging you for this, that, and the other thing. Believe me, we work very hard to avoid that. But I am in holy boldness about raising this subject, which is one that as an elder I've been concerned about for years before when we were River Rock Church and now an Axe Church. I will tell you, this is where the rubber meets the road as far as showing your commitment to Christ. What that would mean, and I'm, I'm going to start out by saying that a memo already went out to the elders. Last year, the elders, whether you are aware of it or not, gave twice. They did a double portion last December. And that really helped us to recover the reserves. This year, we're going to do it again. But this year, we invite you to join us. Okay. The church cannot rest on the back of the elders in all things. That would deprive you of the lesson and the joy and the blessings of going on to maturity and learning how to give, if necessary, sacrificially, but freely. Freely. And we're gonna we're gonna take a brief look. I'll walk you through a key passage. Uh, that addresses the whole question of this. God loves a cheerful giver. It doesn't really, it's not a question of thinking well of. He loves, he loves. Not the giver, the cheerful. Anybody can give and give grudgingly can give out of the darkness. It takes a spirit-filled heart to give cheerfully. To that end, we're going to take a look at First Corinthians, excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter nine. And I, in my own charming way, am going to walk you through it because this is a passage that I think doesn't come up on the radar for believers quite as often as it should. And I need to set a context here. What was happening in 2 Corinthians, among other things, was that Paul was seeking to organize a significant gift for the, for the Christians in Jerusalem. They were undergoing a time of persecution and hardship uh, that was leaving them literally hanging on by their fingernails. It was bad, really bad. And so the, of all things, the Greek Christians said, 
How, do, how can we help? Now here's the body life of Christ. The Greeks were offering to help out the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. How can we help? Now that's the first suspicious sign of a cheerful heart. The problem was that at this time, it was difficult to administer this sort of thing. You've got, there were a whole handful of cities in various regions in Greece. Of course, communication, transportation, not so easy. This is taking time. Furthermore, as we already know, if you've studied 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you find out that Paul's at loggerheads with some of them, and there are some bad things happening in Corinth and so forth. It was tough to get this rolling. But in 2 Corinthians, actually starting in chapter 8, which we won't cover here, he begins to talk about the things necessary, how to organize this, how we're going to do this honestly and above board so that everything is honest and righteous before the Lord, and there could be no possible question as to theft, corruption, and the like, which I wish we did now. He was at pains to do the right thing righteously. He was not a fraud. He was not a wolf in sheep's clothing. It was not a false teacher. And so to him, this was really important. It was, it was especially important that the people have confidence. If they're making a very special gift, I mean, we're talking from cities across Greece. This is not a small gift to Jerusalem that they might bless them and share in their sufferings and provide for their needs. You see, remember, Salvation was of the Jews. Christ is Jewish. It came from Jerusalem. What better way for the Greeks who had been grafted in to show their thanksgiving and appreciation to those who were suffering in Israel than by a major gift. So this is all getting organized. Paul starts in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 1, by saying, I do not need to write to you any further about the ministry to the saints. He'd already talked about that in the previous chapter. I highly recommend you read 8 and 9 together. For I know how willing you are, and I boast about you to the people of Macedonia. Well, that's significant. Macedonia had some brilliant churches. The Philippians, the church at Philippi, was in Macedonia. The Bereans that we know about, spoken of with such approval, they were in Macedonia. The Thessalonian church was in Macedonia. He says, and I'm, I'm bragging about you Corinthians who are in a different region. To them, they who already excel. 
read first and second Thessalonians and read Philippians to see that Paul spoke of them with real approval and of course the Bereans who always went and checked things to make sure that it was right. He honored them. Okay, so he's openly boasting to those folks saying that Achaia has been ready since last year and enthusiasm has stimulated most of them. You never find anything that stimulates everybody. Achaia was the region where the Corinthians were. Now I have sent the brothers so that our boasting about you in this matter may not prove to be an idle boast. Hey, look, I've been, I've been talking you up. But I'm sending some of the brothers to stir you up so that I don't look like a blowhard. My praise is real. I just want to make sure that you're not floating off into indifference. It happens a lot. And so that you might stand ready, just as I said. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find out that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you. And this I'm taking. Guys, I have been bragging about your willingness to give. I have been praising your names of the heavens that you're ready to go. I'm sending people to make sure that everything is in readiness. Remember, we're talking a long time ago. I want them to double check, make sure that everything is right. Because if we arrive to collect your portion of the gift and it's not ready, oh, this is embarrassing. You can see the point, you can see the problem. In effect, Paul would have been guilty of falsely praising them. He says, so be ready. Therefore, I thought it necessary to urge these brothers to visit you ahead of me. <laughs> Trust, but verify. <laughs> to make arrangements in advance for this gift you promised and to make it ready as something given generously and not forced. Okay, let me remind you of some things. There are some virtues, deeply spiritual virtues, known in Israel, known in the church, should be known to every one of you. Do you know what God requires what he prefers in you when the Lord looks at your heart and looks at your life, which he is doing nanosecond by nanosecond. You are never not being seen. Never. The Lord looks for cheerfulness, Not a sour way of life. Not an ungrateful way of life. He looks for thanksgiving and cheerfulness. Some other things. He looks for hospitality. 
which some of us, having employed, have entertained angels without knowing it. He's looking for gratitude. He's looking for an grace. He's looking for humility. These are things that go with the life of Christ. Generosity is at the heart. Why? Why is it gener generosity so important to God? Because there is none more generous than God. He gave his own son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I have given you everything in Christ. You have nothing that God has not given you. Not one thing from your first breath to your last breath, everything in between was given to you by the Lord. Not to squander, not to trample underfoot, not to walk in darkness, but to realize the generosity of God and return it. Why? Because that makes us more like God. And anything that makes us more like the Lord is a good thing. Would you not agree? He's calling us to be, be like me. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. The universe, I made it whole. All of it. The work of a word. You think that's something? Behold my son, in whom all the glory of the Godhead is fully revealed. Nothing in the whole universe comes close to the glory of my son. Hear him. God is generous beyond words. You cannot outgive God is the phrase we hear a lot of the time. God sees you. I see you. You're looking at me, but I'm looking at you. This is not optional. Things are to be given. When you're called to give, they're to be given freely, but given cheerfully, generously. You run across a stranger beaten in the street. Take care of him. The, the widow, the orphan, attend to them. Why? Because that's my very heart. What is the heart of God? God is love. And love is the heart spring of generosity, cheerfulness, joy, delight, bliss. Martin Luther once made the comment that the last thing to enter into the kingdom of God in a man's life was his wallet. Very true. 
Why? Because to the extent that we won't yield up generously and cheerfully and freely, to that extent we fail of the grace of God. To that extent, we are relying on our own strength. We are not relying upon the strength, generosity, and provision of God. The providence of God covers all your needs. If your needs grow, so does the grace. So does the provision. You may be sitting there right now wrestling with this. Good. Good. I hope I punch you right in the heart. And I'm not kidding. I am a fierce warrior on this. We have to unburden ourselves of the need to be self-reliant. You, you think you're self-reliant, your life can go like that. Did the Lord say to the farmer who was planning for next year and doubling his silos, you fool, tonight I'm going to require your life of you. The Lord said, fool, that's not good. Look, because you've been given all, you're actually called to be cheerful, generous, hospitable, and all the rest in all things. I'm coming to you and I'm saying, okay, this year, in order to sustain the work we're doing, which we hope, trust, and pray is a blessing to you and builds you up and is leading you on to maturity in Christ, we're saying, this needs to be dealt with. Not swept under the rug. It needs to be dealt with. And look, you want to know I am pleased by this? Because it gives you an opportunity to be victorious. To triumph over these things. Join the elders. Everybody here does a double offering in December. Boom, it's done. Get it? It's done. Everybody does a double offering. So that means what? $10? (laughs) What you're giving, do it twice. Do it cheerfully. Do it freely. I mean, these saints were trampling each other to give to Jerusalem. They were crying out with joy and excitement. Remember, they came out of raw paganism. And the Spirit of God was welding them together into the body of Christ. And in that first generation, there was nothing like it. He goes on and says, remember this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Do I really need to comment on that? You will appear at the Bema seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 5. Your salvation is a given, but your rewards 
Ah, that will vary. Some saints will receive greater and some lesser according to what I just read to you. If you sowed sparingly, you may well be disappointed when you meet Christ one-on-one -on -one at the judgment seat of rewards. It has nothing to do with loss of salvation. It's all about rewards. And the righteous judge, when you appear before him, I tell you exactly what it's going to be like. You're there, you're with him, table in between. Here's wood, hay, and stubble. All of the junk and trash in your life in Christ. Not your sins. What you did in, in Christ. And then gold, silver, and precious stones. You know what happens? Next thing that happens is Christ looks at it with his eyes of fire that John speaks of in Revelation 1. He simply looks at it. Wood, hay, and stubble, when looked at by the holy divine fire of the eyes of Christ, guess what happens? Poof. Gone. Gone. And all that, done in the flesh, not done in the spirit, not done properly, grudging giving being one of them, boom, gone. But, of course, gold, silver, and precious stones, they pass through the fire. That's your reward. I'm quite convinced that out of the gold, silver, and precious stones that are at the Bama seat after Christ looks, that is what the Lord is going to make your crown out of. Your crown is going to be made out of the very gold, silver, and precious stones that endure the fiery eyes of Christ. For some, that's going to mean that they're going to be wearing an immense crown. It is made of the good and godly things in their life, their whole life in Christ. Some are going to come out of that with a nose ring. Some, and Paul warns about this, some will come through this naked. They will have nothing. Like the guy who buried his tear in the backyard, Parable of the talents, nothing. That is the time of regret. You're glorified. You're in the glorified body, but you can still regret what could have been but wasn't. Why? Because you didn't do it. And the things you did, did do, were things that you did in an unworthy way. I warn you. Life's hard enough already. You don't want to go into the kingdom of God with regrets. Each of you must give what you have decided in your heart, not with regret or under compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly. 
sow bountifully, you'll reap a massive reward. Massive. The crown of which is well done, you good and faithful servant. That, that is the ultimate reward. But you'll notice again, without regret or under compulsion, the fact that I give you a call, the fact that I put before you opportunity is, it's not me trying to break your arm. I'm putting it out in front of you. You must freely choose and see whether you have the faith and the courage and the commitment to do twice what you're used to doing only once. Besides, God is able to make every blessing of yours overflow for you so that in every situation you always have all you need for any good work. In other words, the God is saying, where do you think your blessings come from? If you give generously, cheerfully, you don't think I can't give you more? Do you think that somehow I don't notice you? Do you think that my providence for you would fail because you did this? It's not the money, it's your heart. It's not the money, it's your soul. It's not the money, it is, are you learning to be like me? As it is written, he scatters everywhere and gives to the poor. His righteousness lasts forever, which is right out of the Psalms. Scatters everywhere, yes. Gives to the poor, yes. This is not a rich church. Good. Good. We're not tempted to be thinking that we do it ourselves. We're not tempted to self-reliance. We have to rely on the Lord. Now he who supplies seed to the farmer and bread to eat will also supply you with seed and multiply it and enlarge the harvest that results from your righteousness. In every way, you will grow richer and become even more generous. As you become generous, you become more generous. As you become cheerful, you become more cheerful. That doesn't mean walking around with an idiot smile on your face. You may have noticed I don't spend much time walking around with an idiot smile on my face. Why? I'm not an idiot. I do smile. But I try to put some content behind it, you know? Nothing wrong with having a content-filled smile. And this will cause others to give thanks to God because of us, see? As you are generous, as you are cheerful, as you are hospitable, as you are gracious, others will begin to notice it. If you think that that goes nowhere, sadly mistaken. People do notice, even if you don't notice that they're noticing. It does make a difference, and it can be used by the Holy Spirit. Since this ministry you render is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, 
and the church has needs to supply the saints. We are going to hit that $40,000. Why? Because it's the right thing to do, and it's such a wonderful opportunity for growth. Oh, you're going to be so liberated. It is also overflowing with more and more prayers of thanksgiving to God. Because your service and giving proves your love. That's how you give evidence of your love. You give generously. Is indeed one of the most important ways that you can do that. Will you be a fruitful Christian or an unfruitful one? Many, many wheat and tares in your life or a true fruit? Wood, hay, and stubble or gold, silver, and precious stones? Because your service and giving proves your love, you will be glorifying God as you obey what your confession of the Messiah's gospel demands. Since you are generous in sharing with them and with everyone else, Christ's riches he gave to us and he took upon himself our poverty abject, starving to death, poverty. You have the holy joy and delight of knowing that you have eternal life if you are in Christ. If you are not, you need to talk to us. But if you are in Christ, he gave that to you. And as Paul noted elsewhere, while we were yet enemies of God. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't reward us. Pray for your enemies. That was us. Bless. Do not curse. That was us. We were the object of all of these teachings. It's an amazing thing to say. Your service and giving proves your love. That is real fruit. Because you are willing to let go and allow the Lord to show himself rich in providing for you and in working together with your brothers and sisters to do the right thing so that the work of the ministry of the gospel can continue unimpeded. And so in their prayers for you, they will long for you because of God's exceptional grace that was shown to you. Exceptional grace. In other words, getting off the wallet is one of the most liberating things that you can do because it manifests God's grace and your growing maturity in Christ. Does that make sense? This is how you literally bring forth abundant fruit. We know that as you bring forth abundant fruit, the Lord 
trims you so that you bring forth more abundant fruit. The dead branches, he cuts off. But the fruitful ones, they're tended by the Lord himself. Exceptional grace, you're called to it. And he ends the chapter by saying simply this. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It's you. It's you. Is it not even you and our blessed Lord Jesus Christ? So this is a challenge before you. We have six weeks. Six weeks. If this is all new to you, well, good. If this is not to, uh, if it's not new to you, good. But you're called to be fruitful. And in all my years of being associated with a number of churches, I find that Acts Church, I'm not a kid anymore, comes closest to what I've always imagined a real Christian community looks and feels like. This is a family. This is a family. This is what Christ intended. By this shall men know that you are followers of mine, that you love one another. And in loving one another, be generous, be kind, be gracious. Be cheerful in all things, fulfilled by the joy of the Lord. Let the river of life well up out of your soul as a testimony to others and as a way of caring for others. And never forget what God in Christ did for you. Christ became abjectly poor with no place to lay his head so that you might be eternally rich. If you can't figure that one out, there's nothing else I can say to you. But you can figure this out. You're smart. 